well, what, what does affordability mean, right? They, we can't afford Medicare for all. Okay, well, what does affordability mean? So if I ask you right now, so, you know, let's say the, the stores are closed, you're at home, you want to make a sandwich. How do you know if you can afford to make a sandwich? You walk in, if you got bread, you got some ham, and you got some cheese, you can afford it. Right? It doesn't have anything to do with your bank account. Huh. You either have the stuff or you don't have the stuff. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with seventh-year MMT activist Bill Peoples. Bill earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. He then opened a retail computer store and managed his business with accounting software. This served as his introduction to double-entry accounting, for which he received some extra support from his father, who is a certified public accountant. Bill later worked for a major computer manufacturer using computer programming and data analytics to determine why certain systems fail. All of this is to say, logic comes easily to Bill, and this helped him to very quickly pick up some important concepts underlying modern money theory, or MMT. Bill wants to understand the accounting all the way down to the individual transaction. In the context of economics, this essentially is the atomic level. Understanding this level of detail, Bill says, makes the aggregate become more clear. It also turns some of what is commonly portrayed as scary and complicated into something decidedly mundane. An example is how the public is often told that China may dump its debt and that this is somehow a threat or even potential act of war against the United States. A related insight I recently learned from Bill is the very concise and simple idea that only the issuer can create and delete its own money. This includes bonds, treasuries, and securities. After being created and before being deleted, the money in bonds can do nothing but change ownership. Dumping its debt is a hyperbolic term meaning to sell off its entire holdings of U.S. bonds. First of all, given the nature of the Chinese economy, it's extremely unlikely that they would ever choose to do this. But even if they did, what Bill's insight reveals is that China would do nothing more than exchange their bonds for cash. China would be giving up money that earns regular interest income, bonds, for money that earns no interest. In addition, because of the quantity of bonds involved, China would very likely lose a lot of money 
in the process. In other words, the total amount of bonds and money in the world would remain unchanged and China would almost certainly harm itself and not harm the United States. You will find several sources recommended by Bill in the show notes along with some example balance sheets he's created during his experience of responding to common questions. You can contact me on Twitter or Facebook, and you can email me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If you're enjoying Activist MMT even a fraction as much as I enjoy creating it, and if you're safe and secure and happen to be lucky enough to have some public deficit kicking around in your pocket, I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. For as little as a dollar a month, You'll get exclusive content and updates, several days of early access to every episode, and for some, super early access, weeks and sometimes even months in advance. You can start by going to patreon.com slash activistmmt. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Whatever you can afford, I would be very grateful. Thank you. And now, on to my conversation with Bill Peoples. So hey, what's going on? Uh, not a lot, man. Not a lot. Okay. My wife was concerned that I was meeting with Jeff Epstein. But I told her you know, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not Jeff Epstein. So. Struggle with that all the time. <laughs> it's not the first time you've heard that, right? Uh, no, no. It was maybe the third. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, whatever. I'm, I'm almost coming to it at this point. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, um, well, you know, you didn't pick it, right? <laughs> no, at least not after this, not after all this. Uh, do you, you know, you know, Graham Elwood? Uh, I don't. Okay, Graham Elwood is a, a, just a YouTuber. And so uh, every now and then I'll go on his show. And, and so whenever he mentions me, like, you know, with MMT, he'll, he might mention something and, and he'll mention my name or, or I'll, whatever. I'll do like a live stream comment or something and he'll say hello. But he also covers the uh, the Jeff Epstein story, oh, okay. the Jeffrey Epstein story. And actually, that's that has helped his, you know, he's gained quite a lot of followers because of that story. Um, so every time he mentions me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Political Vigilante. My name is Graham Elwood. We have a very special returning guest, friend of the show, Jeff Epstein, not the one who hung himself with a paper um, T-shirt, the one from Citizens Media TV who has educated myself and many of you about MMT uh, and also co-host of the podcast. And he's known on Twitter as at Activist MMT. And check out the Activist MMT podcast. Jeff, thank you so much for coming so back on the show. Me, You're the one who, uh, um, it's almost two years ago now, so, that, that reached out to me. So every time he mentions me, my name is no longer Jeff Epstein. My now, my name is now Jeff Epstein, the one that did not hang himself with a paper t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much longer name. <laughs> yeah, well, that gets the job done, so whatever works. Um, uh, so anyway. Fun. So where are you guys located? Uh, I'm in New Jersey, two hours south of uh, okay. New York, right across from Philly. Gotcha. What? Where are you? Where, I know you're in Texas, but where are you? Uh, we're just north of Austin. So Austin's a bright blue spot um, of Texas, and then we're kind of uh, up in in Williamson County, which is traditionally pretty dark 
red, um, although it's getting a little more purpley. So, um, so it's. Uh, are do you, I, I'm surprised. Well, not surprised. I, I wonder if you know Ryan Mathis because he's at the University of Austin. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, we've uh, hung out on a few occasions. Oh, nice. So I met him a little bit before, I guess, the last conference. Um, I mean, he's uh, he's a little bit. I guess he's about the same age as my oldest son. Oh wow! Um, and they were they were both at UT uh, together, not not together in the same like they didn't know each other. Okay. Uh, my son's also named Ryan, so ah. uh, so I got them together and we went and had a had a beer near campus one day. Talked about MMT stuff and nice. Um, so yeah, we've we've met up a couple of times here and there. So. And J- I believe Jamie or J- I, I remember I forget which one, but a Galbraith is at yeah, that university. Uh, yeah, Jamie Galbraith teaches at uh, UT as well. So. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, okay, uh, so hello, Bill. How are you? Doing well, thanks. I am uh, very glad that you came on to to finally talk with you. Um, you know, obviously we've we've s- kind of encountered each other quite a bit over the past couple of years, at least on Twitter and Facebook, I guess. And I don't know if, yeah, I probably met you at a conference. I just don't recall at the moment. But would you could you please uh, introduce yourself and could you you know talk about yourself up until the point that you discovered MMT or economics or whatever that question means to you? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, so th- again, thanks for having me. Looking forward to our discussion here. Before MMT, um, well, life was easier for one thing. <laughs> I didn't have uh, all this stuff going through my brain of uh, uh, you know wanting to pull my hair out every time somebody says what we're doing with taxpayer money. Matrix so, is good to you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, plug me back in. Give me a stake. Uh, I'll be be happy. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I guess my story is uh, much like anybody else's um, that hasn't been exposed uh, or hasn't even really taken the time to think about it. I went to the University of Texas, got a degree in mechanical engineering. I actually didn't use my degree for a while and went into um, the computer business. Uh, so we, you know, bought and sold computers and parts and, and, uh, help people set up networks and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, and eventually we went to work for one of the large computer manufacturers here in the Austin area and ended up doing uh, all sorts of things, logistics, uh, support. Finally ended, ended up back in an engineering role uh, later in my career. Uh, started working with, with data and analytics as part of uh, quality control and, and looking at uh, you know, how things fail and, and running statistical analysis on that. So I had a pretty strong data background. I've done some programming, so I um, have a decent sense of logic and, and those kinds of things. But, I, you know, the economy wasn't, it worked for me, right? And I was in a position of privilege uh, as far as, you know, being set up with a good education, getting a good career, having a decent job, decent benefits, those kinds of things. You know, I didn't really start from a place of struggle uh, in that sense. So the economy for me just just kind of worked. You know, I, I knew what everybody else knew, which is that the national debt's going to kill us all one day, but probably not in my lifetime. <laughs> Deficits were bad, and whoever could 
could lower deficits were were the heroes. But I didn't think about it really much past that. Uh, so I, I think that's kind of the state where the, you know, the majority of the population sits is it's just not something that um, unless you've taken a look at it, it, you know, it didn't really have much substance to it, if that makes sense. Sure. Okay. Uh, so then uh, you discovered MMT. Uh, so something something happened that you were either questioning it or the, the answers I mostly get when I ask this, when I ask this part of the question of how do you discover it, it's either 2008 or Bernie. Those are, those are the, by far the biggest answers. I, I've noticed your presence on, or, you know, looking back on your profile, I've noticed like MMT around to around 2017 with you. Yeah. But but in 2017, it seemed like you already knew a substantial amount. So so how did you discover it and go on from there? Yeah, 2017 is probably when I started more on social media. Um, yeah, it was really a little bit before then, I, I guess around 2014, somewhere around, around there, my... Uh, my dad sent me an email saying, Hey, I went and I went to this Unitarian church in Dallas and there was a guy, uh, talking about, um, economics and he's got a free book and here, let me, you know, I'll You're email it to me. You. Yeah, no. So, um, so my dad went to, he said, I don't know, maybe there was 10 people there at some little church in Dallas and, and Mosler was speaking. Um, I think, uh, Charles Hayden may have set that up. I don't know if you know. I, I've seen his name, uh, and I've seen his name on Facebook. Yeah. He recently set up a discussion with, uh, Mark Cuban and Pavlina. So I don't know if you saw that, but that was kind of fun. Uh, wow. I know about it. I didn't yeah. realize his connection. So, uh, so yeah, he had, I guess he had discovered it at some point, uh, or discovered Warren at some point and set that up. I don't know how my dad ended up at that meeting, but piqued his interest. So he, you know, he emails me this, uh, seven deadly innocent frauds and, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's great, Dad. I'll I'll get to that eventually. <laughs> you know, I've got more important things to do than think about the economy. But <laughs> so, um, so you know, and then he, you know, he asked me maybe a month after he sent it to me, hey, have you looked at that? Why don't you just read the first one and let me know what you think? It's like, all right. So you know, to get him off my back, um, I went and the read the first fraud. You mean? Yeah. So I went and read the intro. You know about who Warren was and. And read the the first innocent fraud. Uh, I, of course, once I started reading, I, I couldn't put it down. I ended up just reading the whole thing within a couple of days. But um, <laughs> it's only like sixty nine pages long or something. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, it's it's really a, an easy entry point. And and I know there's a lot of material out there now that didn't exist back then. But I, I still recommend that as a good good easy entry point for a lot of people. But so yeah, I read that and uh, it got me thinking. Right it kind of all made sense the first time I read it through and until I, you know, slept. And then the next day it's like, well, that, that's not right. You know, national mm-hmm. debt's going to kill us all. Deficits are bad. These are things that we know, you know, we know these hundred um, percent. So I ended up reading it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so this is around 2014. There's yeah, only 20, 2014. Um, Probably around the end, he sent it to me as an early Christmas present. So, mm-hmm. right, okay. sent, me a, sent me a free book as a Christmas, <laughs> <present>. Christmas present. <laughs> not knowing how much he was going to disturb my my status quo. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, so yeah, somewhere around there, you know. So I've read it, and I, and I had 
couple of friends that, you know, we'd go out and have beers, uh, you know, a couple times a month or something. So I said, Hey, why don't you guys read this? You know, next time we, we meet, let's, let's discuss. And of course they, they didn't get it at first. And, um, you know, so we had to, you know, forced me to kind of talk through it because now I've, I've read it twice. Right. So I'm the expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's like so, teaching. It's like you learn piano for a week and you can, you can, you're like an expert to second graders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's that kind of thing. So we started talking through it and, you know, they asked me all the same questions that people still ask me, which now I have answers for. Uh, but back then we just, you know, well, what, let's, let's look, what does it say in the book? You know, so we, we kind of had to piece it together and, and make sense of it. There wasn't, I didn't have, you know, all the support that's, that's available now, or at least I, I didn't know if I had any support. I had made a Twitter account before then, but I, I think I'd sent one tweet before discovering mm-hmm. MMT. Mm-hmm. Um, really? One tweet pre-MMT? <laughs> well, so so when Twitter was new, you know, people were, were grabbing usernames and and I thought, well, you know, Twitter might be something that, that's cool one day that I want to do. So I went and grabbed a, a username. So my username at TXEX, Texas X. Uh, it's nice. It's only four characters long. I wouldn't be able to, you know, if I'd waited, I, I, I might not have been able to get that. What does um, Texas X stand for? TXEX. Uh, so the University of Texas uh, alumni are called the Texas Xs. So that's, uh, ah. so I'm a, I am a Texas X. So I, I went and, and grabbed that. So, and so showing, showing a little school uh, spirit there and just the bill. Yeah. So schoolhouse rock has always been dear, close and close to my heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that was when I was growing up, but, but, uh, but yeah, so that's how it all started. Seven deadly innocent frauds. And, and that's all I had. That was like the Bible at the time. Um, so I kind of had to figure it out from there. And then it's like, well, where can I find people that, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to reach out to Warren at the time there, or that he would want to talk to anybody. But, uh, of course now I know that he's, he's fairly accessible. But uh, at the time, it's like, well, let me let me jump on this Twitter thing and uh, see if I can find some other people talking about this stuff. And I guess that was, like you said, maybe 2016, 2017. So I, I had already been doing just talking to friends, grassroots, um, trying to figure stuff out, you know, before then. And then in, ended up running into to Sam. Uh, either on Twitter or Facebook, I don't remember where where we actually met up, but he was doing a lot of the same stuff I was, but he was a little further ahead. Of course, the Def Owls YouTube uh, channel was a big help for me finding that already. Oh, so okay, so I didn't realize how old the channel was then. Yeah, that's been around uh, for a while. Uh, so okay. Sam started that a little before we met. Uh, Sam Levy is the what I would consider the godfather of Def Sit Owls. The, <laughs> he's the founder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, you're he, just a de- you're a developer. He includes me when when he says, you know, Def Sit Owls is me and Bill. But I mean, he started it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just asked me if I was interested in in, uh, in joining up and uh, helping him with some stuff. And it's like, yeah, sounds good. I want you know, this is in my brain now. I've got to I've got to share it with everybody, right? Mm-hmm. If there's somebody out there that doesn't understand this. They need to right now and so so yeah pretty life-changing because uh you know i went from 
whatever else my life was to this is kind of my life now. I mean, this is kind of what I do. I'm not an academic. I, I, I'm not a graduate student. I know those people. <laughs> I mean, I did a, I did a book study with, with Sam and a group of uh, grad students from U, UMKC uh, over the summer on Godly and Lavoie. Um, so I'm on what? You know, Godly and Lavoie's textbook. Um, so Mark, Mark Lavoie and Wynne Godley wrote a textbook together for stock flow consistent modeling. Um, so, you know, I've done some of that stuff. So I'm, I'm doing some of the academic work without actually being an academic. Still trying to decide if it's worth going back to school. You know, at this point in my life, I don't, I don't know why I would do that, but you know, we got, I got other things going on with family and stuff, but, uh, Mm-hmm. But you know, I read everything I can get a hold of, and studying as much as I can, and trying to, you know, hone my explanation skills and my rebuttal skills, and 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 man, the you know the movement has grown significantly since then. 2014, there wasn't a whole lot going on on the MMT spectrum. I don't know when you came in. February but, 2018. Uh, yeah, so there there wasn't a whole lot going on, and then uh, yeah, I've been to the last three conferences. The first one was 2017, I guess. Mm-hmm. So meeting more and more people, and and uh, you know, teaching uh, teaching as much as I can, and it's exciting, it's interesting, but but yeah, it drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> so seven seven DIF seven deadly innocent frauds was. You said, how long was that your only source? How long roughly did you start to branch out? And then what were the, you know, that also became part of your repertoire, whatever you call it? Um, I mean, it was probably like the first year or so um, that was kind of the only source because I, I was it was more of, you know, talking to other friends and, and acquaintances about, Hey, let's, let's look at this, talk to, you know, talk about it. Tell me if you see something that doesn't look right. See if you can break the logic here. Cause to me, this all makes sense. And, and I couldn't find a flaw. So I spent a little bit, a little bit of time just, you know, can I find a flaw in this line of thinking and, or can I find somebody else that can, cause I'm not seeing it. Right. So, so it's probably that, that kind of that first year before I got, kind of more serious and decided, okay, this, this looks right. Let's see what else is out there. Like I said, the, the YouTube channel was, was helpful. Uh, finding Sam on Twitter, Nathan Becker on Twitter. I don't know if you, if you're familiar with him. I know who it is. I know who it is. Yeah. He was one of the first people I kind of came across that was, that was speaking MMT. He, he actually helped out tremendously and, and kind of, giving me some guidance on how Twitter works. So hmm. uh, before, okay. before running across him, I didn't, didn't really know how to tweet or what tools to use or, or, or those kinds of things. Right. So, uh, so he was instrumental in, in that piece and, you know, helping fill in some of the gaps, uh, certainly the banking stuff, right. That that's not really covered extensively in seven diff and finding, um, the new economic perspectives page with the primer and the, the money and banking series and, and all that started to fill in a lot of the gaps that, that I had for all those, but, but what about questions? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the differences between the communities? Like, I mean, now it's 
you know, the community is pretty heavy now. Can, can you describe like what were the, were the milestones like really, you know, AOC and what it was at late 2018 or something like, yeah, I mean, I don't know that, that, uh, for me, I mean, I don't know how much AOC added. I was, I was already pretty, pretty well in there. So I, I think the, the conferences helped a lot because it got people together and got people talking. Uh, so that was a little bit before then, uh, certainly AOC's given more public awareness of, of some of the ideas and, and, you know, Stephanie has been in the public eye now for quite some time, uh, doing all kinds of interviews and, and, uh, of course her new book is, is reaching, you know, tons of people, but yeah, I mean, you know, in the, in the beginning, there was just, there was just kind of a, you know, a handful of us that seems like we would get together and talk about stuff. Um, you know, Sam was part of that. Like I said, Nathan and uh, I ran across uh, Grumbine uh, at some point, and and we started talking back then. Uh, kind of before Real Progressives was a was a thing. It was it was more of a a Facebook page, and then we had some weird splits of. Uh, these investment uh, guys wanting to change what MMT was for their own purposes. And, you know, so we've definitely seen some, some ebbs and flows um, as far as that community, but in general, it's just, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a hundred X what it was then it's, it seems huge. And I don't know if it was already there and I just keep getting more exposure to it as I meet people from around the world that are doing similar work, but. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm curious, actually, let me just jump ahead sort of to the end here. What are there particular things that you're trying to get your head around now that you know, you still don't know and you're pursuing? Well, I mean, I'm always looking for more detail, right? So uh, again, I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer by, by degree data analytics person by career. So for me, uh, understanding things all the way down to the transaction level is, I think, useful as opposed to just looking at the aggregates. So if you if you know what's going on for, with an individual transaction, then the aggregates start to make more sense. Uh, and, and this goes to a, to a Twitter debate I was having with somebody today, right? So, mm. you know, you, you've heard that government spending creates money, right? So that's that's a pretty common thing that you'll hear in the MMT community, government spending creates money. But what does that mean, right? So if we get if we go down to the individual transaction level. So the government sends me a check for social security, well I'm not social security age yet, but sends Warren a check for social security, <laughs> I say. <laughs> um you know, what happens, right? What are all the steps involved in that? So I guess if they wouldn't send him a check, it'd be a direct deposit. Uh, so the Federal Reserve credits, his his bank's reserve account, his bank credits, his checking account, and then what does that change in the economy? Well, M2 has been adjusted up by exactly that amount. So M2 was something, and now it's something plus Warren Social Security check. Right. So that's what's happening at the individual transaction level. So when we say government spending creates money, well, we have to kind of define what those terms mean. But if we use M2, which is a common 
definition for the money supply, and we see that that spending event results in M2 being increased, um, then, then we have that direct relation. So when we get to the end of the day or the end of the year, and we aggregate everything together and we say, well, did the money supply change because we had some spending went in, some taxes went out, and then there's a deficit difference, but some, some money for bonds went out, and it all nets to zero, or approximately zero. So, so nothing really happened, right? That's where a lot of people start at that aggregate level. But every transaction matters, right? You need to understand that. So the, the payment doesn't happen at the same time that the taxes are taken out. The bond is sold at a different time than the payment and the taxes, right? So those are all individual transactions with individual effects. And so for me, I like to understand, you know, that, that complexity, that level of detail even down to, you know, how the general ledger is affected on the banking side, right? That's, that's what I'm working on now. I've got a couple of banking contacts mm. where we're going through, okay, so when you create this mortgage, what accounts are affected at the general ledger level? What gets credited? What gets debited? What, you know, how does the float work? Who, whose account changes at what time? What's the timing of all that? How many different transactions are involved, right? So, so that's the detail I'm trying to get down to, just mostly because I'm curious. I'm an engineer. I like to know how things work. Okay, so two questions. Number one, when did accounting come into your awareness? Uh, and number two, can you give an overview of the M1, M2, and so on? I actually have only a very vague understanding of that. Uh, to, to some degree. Um, so, so accounting, my dad's a CPA. Yeah, my dad is a... So, <laughs> I am a I am a former computer programmer, professional computer programmer, and my dad is a CPA. Well, there you go. See, <laughs> um, so so I'm familiar with accounting. I used to, uh, uh, you know, he would show me some stuff. He taught me some basics back, you know, when I was living there. And like I said, you know, I, I didn't really talk about what happened. The reason I didn't use my engineering degree at first, and uh, to a great extent, but again, I you know I went into the computer business, which meant I was self-employed and ran a business and therefore I had to figure out how QuickBooks worked and, and manage all of our accounting for the, for the businesses. So I got pretty familiar with accounting early on, uh, just as far as how it works. Er, and, early on in your MNT or early on in your life? No, in my life. Right. So, so right out of college, I'm, I'm running a business, right? So I had okay. to, okay. actually, while I was still in college, I was running a business and that was a decision point where it's, you know, I started grad school and I opened a computer store. Huh. Um, and those two things did not go together very well huh. uh, from a time commitment. So I, I ended up taking the, the business route and left the, left the graduate degree behind. But, and, you know, for better or for worse, it's what got me where, where I am now. So um, don't know if it would have been better the other way, but this, you know, that, that was the decision at the time. Okay. But accounting's always been been part of that. You know, it all makes sense to me. Um, so when, so you discovered MMT, but I'm going to think that you did at 7DIF. I don't recall bringing up, it's been quite a while since I've read it, but I don't recall that bringing up accounting. So when did accounting, as far as it applies to MMT, come into your awareness? I mean, 7DIF kind of talks about it at the macro level, sort of. Um, but yeah, so 
I guess the when I really got into the accounting piece was more more recently. Um, it wasn't right at the beginning, but as far as you know, what, I want to have answers to these questions: is how does government spending add add to the money supply, or or, or how do how do taxes remove money? So I, I started looking at. I guess when I went through the new new economic perspectives page, the money and banking series, started looking at the balance sheets, okay. interrelations, uh, how the balance sheets work. Um, started creating my own balance sheets for for examples for people. So when I'm when I'm teaching somebody what those effects look like, I, you know, I have something to to show them. Uh, you may have seen some of those out in the wild, in fact, but um, they're they're Probably. they're pretty simple. Um, but for me, you know, looking at, you know, the dollar as a, as an asset on one side and an obligation on the other side, much like looking at the theater ticket as an asset on one side and obligation on the other side, yeah. how those get issued, how they get redeemed, you know, it's very similar kind of process. Although with the, with the dollars, we had a lot more steps that, you know questionable whether it's necessary or not, but we add a lot more steps and make it more complicated. But um, but trying to figure out, you know, how those balance sheets combine, how they aggregate together. And once again, a lot of that's in, in the, the Eric's Money and Banking series and, and, and then, of course, his textbook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you, okay, so if you wouldn't mind, could you actually give an overview of M1, M2, and M3? Um, I can uh, to a certain extent. So so basically they're just definitions, right? Um, so, you know, everybody's got a different definition for money, right? So it's a, when we talk about what money is, uh, some people think it's a lump of gold. Some people think it's Bitcoin. Some people think it's a physical note or a, or a digital balance, right? There's all kinds of, of things that, people consider to be money. So um, a lot of times when you're talking to somebody, it's easier to say, well, let's take a standard definition, right? So so the money aggregates is something that, that have, you know, I don't know where they were originally created, but it's just a way to to, to have a definition. So M1 is a, is a pretty narrow view of money. It's basically, if, if I get this right, notes and coins uh, out in the wild, as well as uh, basically checking accounts, right? So it's the the most liquid form of the money supply. Oh, M two physical gets, money and checking accounts is M one. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's I, I think travelers checks may be included in there if anybody uses travelers checks anymore. But the most um, liquid form that actually but, really helps to hear that. But yeah, so M so that's a pretty narrow definition of money. So when we say, well, what is money? Well, I can tell you what M1 is, right? Um, now, I have a different definition of money at a, in a broader sense, but we, and we can get to that in a second. M2 gets a little less liquid, sort of, not really, but it adds like savings so, accounts. First of all, it's a, super, it's a superset of M1. Yeah, so it's M1 plus savings accounts, um, CDs, money market accounts, things that that are still considered pretty liquid, but not necessarily as liquid as cash and checking, right? Mm. So, so to use your savings account, you know, 
you can't uh, write a check off of it directly in most cases, so you might have to transfer it to your checking account first. Right, so it's a little less liquid. It's not a lot less liquid. And then you get into, and note that these don't, these don't include uh, reserve balances, right? So these are deposit balances. So this is money as what is seen by the broader economy. So it's not what's seen on the backside. So the, the treasury account's not included in there. Bank reserve balances Non-government sector. Well, so even the banking sector, so not the, not the reserve side of the banks, right? Just the retail side of the banks. Okay. Because you'd be counting, you know, some of that money twice um, if you included, right? So if we go back to Warren's uh, Social Security check, the reserve balance goes up and the deposit goes up. Well, I don't want to count that twice, right? Okay. So, so we're going to pick deposits instead of reserves. It's already, I'm, I mean, please go on, but it's already very helpful to think of this as M1. M1 is the most liquid. M2 is that plus a little less liquid, like liquidity, thinking of what are the money aggregates are called? Yeah. That, thinking of it in terms of basically a hierarchy of liquidity. I, I, that's very helpful to hear that. Yeah. And then you get into monetary base, which is on the other side of the, of the system. So that, that would be like your reserve balances. So that's different than what your deposits are, right? Because deposits also include whatever's created by loans on the, on the banking side. Okay. Right. So in, in, in your, I'm sure you're familiar with the loans create deposits piece, right? Yes. So, um, so, you know, I borrow, I borrow a hundred dollars on a signature loan. Uh, my, my bank balance goes up by a hundred dollars, but the reserve balance doesn't. So the, the only thing offsetting that is, is, is my promise to pay that back. Bank loans don't affect their reserves until that money is transferred or is involved in a transaction with another bank. I believe that that's the case. Right, right. So, well, actually, so, actually, okay, answer that, but actually, let's let me. The M3 is a superset of M2 and M1. Uh, I don't think M3 is really used much anymore. I don't remember what all it, it adds. You in. UK, I think they use M4, which may be similar to M2. So I, I'm not an expert in this uh, by any means. Okay, um, but but it's just yeah. M1 and M2 is a really good a really good start for yeah. that. Yeah, and and again, that gives you some common ground if you're talking to somebody about, you know, how does government you know government spending affect the money supply? Well, what what do you you know how do you want to define that? Well, let's use M2 because that's something that's defined for us, right? We don't have to each okay. have our own definition of that. Okay. Okay. So bank loans, bank loans create deposits, but they do not affect reserves unless and until that money is somehow involved in a transaction with another bank. And right. I so, believe that that's correct. So they don't create, they don't affect reserves in aggregate, right? So if the banking system loans, you know, a billion dollars today. There's a billion dollars in new deposits, but the reserve balances in aggregate don't change. What other so, what other way is there to view the reserves? As it, like what's yeah, the... right. So if we go down now down to an individual bank, so if I go take a, once again, if I take a signature loan from my credit union, 
I'll have a $100 liability for the loan and I'll get a $100 deposit in my checking account. Their reserves don't change, right? Because that's all happens within the bank. If I get an auto loan, uh, for example, and the dealership also banks at my bank, then when they make that payment, that doesn't affect their reserves because it's right. all internal to the bank. Right. Um, but now if it, if they bank at a different bank, then just like all other settlement. So if I write a check for anything, if that check is going to the holder, uh, an account holder at a different bank, then the settlement process is going to, going to transfer the balances to where, wherever bank it, it needs to go to. And it goes through the reserves. Correct. The reserve system. Right. So I believe it is correct to say that a loan created by a bank does not go into, does not affect their reserves unless and until it is involved with a transaction with another bank. Correct. Okay, good. Um, just to com- just to have complete understanding of what, what you were saying, what is a, sig- well, two questions. What is a signature loan? I assume it's like some kind of brand name or something. Uh, I mean, it's just, just a generic term. So some loans you have to put down collateral. So if you get a car loan, normally mm-hmm. the the bank holds a lien on the title. If you get a house loan, the bank holds a lien on the mortgage on the uh, on the property itself as part of the mortgage. So a signature loan is just like you know I'm giving them my signature as collateral. It says I promise to pay this. Right? There's nothing nothing behind nothing for them to repossess. It's just that they think I'm a good credit risk, so they're gonna loan me some money just on, on my word alone. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you said credit union, credit union. How is a credit union different than a bank in all of these respects? Cause you, because really bank is what's always brought up. Credit union is really never brought up in these. Yeah. You know, I mean, from, from this discussion for all intents and purposes, it's the same. Um, a credit union is the, the ownership is based on its, it's members, and so you you have a membership in the bank equal to equal to your deposits, basically. So it's it's more of a rather oh, it's than owned, a, it's owned by the customer. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost like a like a bank co-op. You, you know, you kind of think of it that way. And and I don't know if you can answer this, but I know that credit unions are not backed by FDIC. Uh, that's not necessarily true. Um, so if they're FDIC members, they have the same protection as any other bank. They're, they're, they're basically just a bank, right? Oh, I thought by definition, I didn't realize that it was a co-op until you just said that, but I thought by definition that a credit union was not backed by FDIC. No, they, yeah, they are. At least mine is, um, you know, I think they can opt out of the, the, um, federal reserve, uh, they don't necessarily have to be a member bank, but why would you, I mean, I thought thinking of, of, credit union and it's like why would you choose to not i wonder what is the decision in you know not being backed by fdic well, I mean, that, what would I be the benefit of that i guess that's true for any bank I, I mean warren would be a better person to to talk about this since he used to own a bank but yeah <laughs> I, I think the option is if you know if you want to be a, a federal reserve member you you know you put up your money which is you know buys your your shares of the Federal Reserve, right? Federal Reserve system, which you then get some amount of dividend on those shares, which leads people down the down the road of the Fed being a private thing because you know private entities have shares, and but 
you know, it doesn't work quite the same way as, as, uh, you know, shares in a company. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, no, um, no. It's just, I was surprised to hear you say credit union when uh, almost a hundred percent of the time in MMT discussions, you hear banks. Yeah. Just, um, it's, it's another word for bank. Just, okay. <laughs> just treat it right. as a bank. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, you said something, uh, I'm just going to ask uh, something specific that I saw you mention recently, and I thought it was insightful, and I'm sure you'll remember me you know, acknowledging this on Facebook. Someone was asking, I think it was something like, you know, what if China dumps our debt? And you, I don't remember the exact context, but the way that you answered was, government creates money, government destroys that same money. Whatever happens between those two points all that we're talking about is changing of ownership of that same money. Right. Right. That's, that's, it's a very concise way of, of saying it that covers a lot of topics that covers China that covers in particular, like, you know, China, China dumps its debt. Well, what are they going to do? They're, they'll change ownership or purchase stuff or, you know, there's, there's only so many things that they can do, but nothing can destroy that money except for the creator of that money.
Today I talk with seventh-year MMT activist Bill Peoples. Bill earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. He then opened a retail computer store and managed his business with accounting software. This served as his introduction to double-entry accounting, for which he received some extra support from his father, who is a certified public accountant. Bill later worked for a major computer manufacturer using computer programming and data analytics to determine why certain systems fail. All of this is to say, logic comes easily to Bill, and this helped him to very quickly pick up some important concepts underlying modern money theory, or MMT. Bill wants to understand the accounting all the way down to the individual transaction. In the context of economics, this essentially is the atomic level. Understanding this level of detail, Bill says, makes the aggregate become more clear. It also turns some of what is commonly portrayed as scary and complicated into something decidedly mundane. An example is how the public is often told that China may dump its debt and that this is somehow a threat or even potential act of war against the United States. A related insight I recently learned from Bill is the very concise and simple idea that only the issuer can create and delete its own money. This includes bonds, treasuries, and securities. After being created and before being deleted, the money in bonds can do nothing but change ownership. Dumping its debt is a hyperbolic term meaning to sell off its entire holdings of U.S. bonds. First of all, given the nature of the Chinese economy, it's extremely unlikely that they would ever choose to do this. But even if they did, what Bill's insight reveals is that China would do nothing more than exchange their bonds for cash. China would be giving up money that earns regular interest income, bonds, for money that earns no interest. In addition, because of the quantity of bonds involved, China would very likely lose a lot of money in the process. In other words, the total amount of bonds and money in the world would remain unchanged, and China would almost certainly harm itself and not harm the United States. You will find several sources recommended by Bill in the show notes, along with some example balance sheets he's created during his experience of responding to common questions. And now, on to my conversation with Bill Peoples.